as we study here, uh, probably one of the most important uh, chapters in the whole Bible. Um, for me, it was one of those times where I was thinking, okay, uh, I'm going to just kind of jet through this chapter right here because I, I want to get to chapter 8 and then, you know, just kind of make my way through the book of Romans. But uh, as I was reading it, I, I sensed the Lord just tell me uh, to slow down and to really get through these things. Because as we go through our study today, we're going to see how important... It really is. Um, it really speaks of the the battle that we're engaged in, you guys, as Christians. Um, the battle that we're engaged in to be like Christ um, and to be really set free. And so, um, you know, we're going to take it a little slow, you guys, today. And hopefully the Lord will speak to our hearts. You know, every once in a while, I have the opportunity, I have the privilege of going visiting a young man who's incarcerated and... Um, you know, it's something that I probably should do more often. The Bible does talk about visiting those who are in prison. You know, it's an expression of your love. Um, and so maybe you might know somebody. I encourage you, if you do, pray about going and visiting them. But, you know, when I go visit this young man, um, you know, I, I don't really know all the details of what he's done or what's going to come down and all that kind of stuff. And so whenever I pray for him, I always pray that he would be free. And, you know, the Lord knows what that means. Um, to me, it's not just that he would get out, but it's that he would be free, even if he's in there. And I don't know if he's going to have to stay in there, you know, but man, you know, that's my desire for him. And then when I pray that prayer for him to be free, you know, I have to search my own heart, and I think for a lot of us here as Christians, we have to search our own hearts as well. As Christians, are you free? You know, I have a feeling that there are a lot of Christians who really aren't free. They're frustrated, they're burdened, they go through life, and they're not enjoying God, and they're not exalting God. Why? Because they can tend to be very legalistic. And that's not what God wants. The book of Romans chapter 7, it talks about a man who has a struggle in his life. And he's fighting and he can't seem to do what he wants to do. And it seems like the things that he doesn't want to do, he continues to practice. And as you go through this chapter right here, it's a real classic chapter on how God can truly and totally set us free. And we don't have to be legalistic. We don't have to be judgmental. We don't have to be those types of Christians that really are a turnoff to other Christians. And they're a turnoff to the world many times. And I really want to encourage you guys as we go through this to really ask God to check your heart. Because the other day, even you know, uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, I was going through my journal. And believe it or not, I, I do write. It's not a diary. It's a, it's a journal. <laughs> And I've been doing this for many years. I, I, I don't know why, but I started doing it as soon as I got saved. And I didn't write a lot, but I can go back. And every once in a while, I'll go back to, you know, 1989 and 1990. And just kind of writing the things that the Lord laid on my heart then. And then looking now and seeing all the things that, uh, you know, God has done. But on this particular entry, I was kind of hit hard. Um, it was October 3rd, the year was 2001, and this is what it says. It says, yesterday I had the gracious privilege of teaching the men's study, and the Lord did a neat work. It was a great thing to see the zeal and openness in the hearts of the men. The highlight of my day, however, 
would have to be when I jumped rope with my daughter Ariel and played tag with both Shelly and Ariel. I utterly love to teach God's word, but my family and our time together brings so much more peace and satisfaction. And so I put here, Lord, I pray you would make me a good husband, father, teacher in that order. Lord, you are my master passion and have given me the wonderful people to enjoy life with. Please help me to do that, Lord. And I was reading that and I was like, wow, you know what? Man, praise God that there was that time where I was really, really kind of like there on track. But then what can happen so easily in our life is we get very, very religious and we don't even realize it and we can be distracted with serving and not really doing and not really living and not really loving the way that god has called us to be salt on the earth and light in the darkness and we live in our own christian bubble and we're not penetrating the world and that's really what paul talks about here in romans chapter 7 And let's go ahead and read this and then we'll come back and we'll break it down. It says in verse 1, Or do you not know, brethren, or I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having been died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. You know, the book of Matthew chapter 11, it talks about the people that were so burdened with all the rules and regulations that the teachers of the day had laid on them. And they were walking around, they were carrying such a heavy, heavy load with all the rules and regulations that had been added to the scriptures. And so what did Jesus say? Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you were to describe your Christian walk today, would you describe it as that? Do you have that peace? that surpasses understanding? Do you have the rest of Jesus Christ? You know, if not, today I really want to encourage you to take heart and to learn as we go through this chapter even, we're only going to cover the first portion today, but as we go through this chapter, we're going to kind of take it even like a class. As a matter of fact, I've got some slides that I want to share with you guys that I think will help us learn. And it's kind of a, a like a, almost like a Bible college class. And I hope you're okay with that. It's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit theological, maybe a little bit technical. But it's very, very important for us to know Romans chapter 7 because this chapter right here 
will set you free from all the legalistic nonsense that is out there in the church today. You know, and I have to confess that I'm deeply indebted to John Stott. Um, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, And the things that you have heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so, as I read his commentaries and as I read different teachings on Romans chapter 7, you know, I'm pulling a lot from these teachers, and especially that man by the name of John Stott. And so, what does the Bible say? And that's okay to do. It says that I give to you what he gave to me, so that you can go and give this to others. And so believe me, it's very biblical in order for us to be able to do that. But again, I would consider Romans chapter 7 to be one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. For in it, we see the battle that goes on in each one of our lives. And it's a battle that I know we long to win over sin. It really is. But in order to win this battle, we must have a proper view of the law. And so in this chapter, Paul deals with the doctrine of the law, and he delineates the proper place of the law in our lives. You know, when you look at this chapter, we're going to see the word law is found 16 times. And so this morning, we grapple with a very important question, and that is this. What is the place of the law in Christian discipleship. You know, you got to know this, you guys. And I really pray that you're interested, man. What is the purpose of the law in your life as a Christian? You know, all the Bible does say numerous times that if we keep the law, we shall live. And we read that over and over again in Leviticus and Ezekiel and Luke and Romans and Galatians. It says that if we keep the law, we shall live. That's what the Bible says. But when you read the Bible, you got to know that it only says this in theory. In practice, we got to know this, that no human being is capable of keeping the law on their own strength. Therefore, in all reality, it is not a valid way of salvation. And when I say the law, I'm talking about the moral law. I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. I'm talking about all the hundreds of commandments that you find even in the New Testament and those in the Old Testament that are still valid for Christians today. You can't keep them. You can't keep them on your own strength anyways. And so it's not really a valid way of salvation. As a matter of fact, we've already seen that in the book of Romans. If you would, go back to Romans chapter 3, verse 20. What then is the advantage of the law? And it says there in verse 20, For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so one thing the law gives us is that, is that it reveals sin. It says you can't do that. God says you can't do that. That's sin. Uh, secondly, the law condemns the sinner. It says in verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Okay, so number one, the law reveals sin. Number two, the law condemns a sinner. And number three, the law defines sin as transgression. If you go over to Romans chapter 4, verse 15, it says, because the law brings about wrath for where there is no law, there is no transgression. And so not only missing the mark, but crossing the line. That's what the law is there for. It reveals sin. It condemns the sinner. It defines sin as transgression. 
And it says there in verse 15, because the law brings about wrath. See, these are the things that the law does, revealing sin, condemning the sinner, defining sin as transgression, bringing about wrath. And then we saw over in chapter 5, verse 20, that the law entered that the offense might abound. It really wanted to communicate very clearly what sin is. It's not just this little thing. It's crossing the line and it's really showing us the severity of that. And so we've seen that salvation could not come through the law. We've already seen that. Paul pointed that out, that salvation is offered to the world through Jesus Christ. Therefore, what he does is he shocks the Jews with a statement we read over in Romans chapter 6, verse 14. It says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And so here's the thing, you guys, and this is really where we begin to get into our study today. What does it mean that we are not under the law? And where do you fall in the three possibilities of, you know, people today? You know, what does it mean that Christians are not under the law? Well, let's write a couple of things down. Number one, it means that justification does not come through the law. Justification. Okay, one day, you know, we're going to die. And in order for us to go to heaven, we've got to be right in his sight. We've got to be free. We've got to be forgiven. We've got to be cleansed of our sins. How will that happen? Well, one way it's not going to happen is through your behavior. Your righteous behavior, your good works are like filthy rags before God. And so the one thing we know that we're not under the law means that justification does not come through the law. Look what it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 14. For you know, are not under law, but what? Under grace. You know, most of us probably know that, though. You know, you accepted Jesus Christ. You went forward. You prayed that prayer. And you meant it in your heart. And you knew that there was a change in your life, man. In that moment, you were justified. God washed you. God cleansed you. God made you just as if you'd never sinned. That doesn't happen through your good works. That happens through his work as he died on the cross. It's not your behavior, but your belief. And so being not under the law means that justification is not coming to us through the law. I think most of us here know that. But then there's the second thing, and it's called sanctification. And not being under the law also means that sanctification does not come through the law. For the truth is taught over in Galatians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so here we see the contrast between the law and the Spirit. And here's where I really want, you know, for us to, to be able to put some you know, handles on this and to take this and to carry it home and to live this out in our life. How can I be more like Christ? How can I be, stop being a superficial Christian? One way at church, a different way at home. One way in front of everybody else, but a different way in my heart. How can God really, truly transform my life? You know, and that's really what it's all about, you guys. It really is, you know. Um, that God would make us people 
who, who really love others, who really know how to penetrate the world with their Christianity and not turn people off. How can they know that I love them? Well, let me tell you something. It's not going to be through all your rules and rigid regulations. We've got to stop that. We're not going to reach the world like that. You know, yesterday I had the opportunity, I had the privilege of being able to go into APU. And, you know, my, my mom, uh, she has cancer. And I know some of you are praying for her, and I thank you for that. You know, she's going through some pretty hard times right now, you know, uh, through the chemo and things like that. But it was cool. They had a cancer walk. It was a cancer walk. And so what you do, you know, we had a paper back there and people signed up for it. And some people gave a little money for it. And some people actually went and walked. And, you know, um, I signed up for it. But it's not because I wanted to raise money for cancer. And I went and my daughter and I went and we walked. And it's not because we were trying to raise money for cancer. Is because we were trying to show moral support for my mother. We were trying to show moral support for my mom. And it wasn't an event that was put on by the church. It was, you know, this cancer society. I don't know, you know, a whole lot about the cancer society. But I do know this, that when I went over there, I had a cousin. Her name is Lisa. And she put all this together for my mom. Because my mom doesn't know a lot about, you know, the Internet and all these technicalities and things like that, you know, and organizing such a thing. And when I saw her, what my cousin did for my mom, I said, that's what a Christian is. See, that's what it is, you guys. I think sometimes we think because we read and we prayed and we went to church that we're good Christians. And don't get me wrong, reading your Bible and praying and going to church are necessary in order to make you good Christians, but that's not good Christians. The Pharisees did that. They went to church all the time. They prayed all the time. They read all their Bible. They memorized their Bible. But that didn't make them good Christians. You see, you guys, it's got to go deeper. It's got to go farther. It's got to be real to where you actually are like the Lord in your love and in your life and in your grace and in your mercy. And what we see here is that the law will never save us. And the rigid rules and regulations will never change you. Not if you really want to be changed. I mean, don't get me wrong. You can develop some pretty good habits. And you can look really good to other people. But you know inside your heart when those are just habits. And what God wants to do is he wants to do a true and total transformation. You know, who's the main person? What's the main power in sanctification? Is it me and my struggle to keep the laws? No. It's simply allowing myself to be led by the Holy Spirit. You know, John Stott said this. It's in these two senses that we've been freed or released from the law. But we're going to see it goes beyond that. It doesn't mean that we have been divorced from the law altogether in the sense that it has no more claims on any of us or for any ways or that we have no more moral obligations He said, but on the contrary, the moral law remains a revelation of God's will, 
which he expects his people to fulfill by living lives of righteousness and love. This is what the reformers used to call the third use of the law. We're going to see that. You know, there's some real interesting scriptures. You know, God wants you to behave. He wants you to fulfill the law, believe it or not. Not perfectly, but properly. Did you know that? You know, when we look at the law, we know that it reveals sin, right? And we've seen all the things that the law does. It just, it's a tutor bringing us to Christ. So one of the things we need to do is that even though we come to Christ, though we can't then just throw it out. No, we're going to have to live it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? The Lord wants us to live it out. If you go over to Romans chapter 8, notice what it says in verse 4. It says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Interesting. We're going to live the word of God. It's amazing. If you go over to Romans chapter 13, look what it says in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. See, we don't just throw away the law. We're going to start living the law by loving. We're going to, to live this. We're going to fulfill this law. It's an amazing work. It's going to be an amazing transformation that God is going to do in your life. If you go down to verse 10, it says, Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so all that right there is kind of like just like a backdrop, you know, for us this morning to really begin to understand what the Bible teaches. You know, the the bottom line is this, you guys. There are three possibilities of where you stand this morning. There are three possibilities Number one, you can be here as a legalist. And I have a feeling there are some here today who are legalistic. You're still under the law. Oh, you might not be under the law for justification, but you are under the law for sanctification. And you've got all these rules and regulations that it really are the motives and means for you living your life. Okay, you can be here, number one, as a legalist. Number two, you can be here today as an antinomian. I know that's a weird word. Let's say that together. Antinomian. See, I knew you could say it, man. People are saying, you shouldn't teach this stuff on Sunday morning. You know what? It's the word of God. And this right here is a very valid title. You can read any theological book and they'll tell you about this word, antinomian. See, there are some over here who are all law, man. It's like all these rules and regulations and I don't get tattoos and I don't, you know, have long hair and I don't wear shorts as a girl. And you go on and on, all these rules and regulations, right? They're all law. And there are some over here who are, there's no law at all. There's no rules. There's no rules whatsoever. That's the antinomian. They're without law. Okay, you can either be this one or you can be this one. Or you can be that last one right there. And that is law-fulfilling, free people. And as we go through our text this week and next week, we're going to be able to see how all these operate. The legalists. Now, these are those people who are still under the law, and they are in bondage to it. They imagine that their relationship to God depends on their obedience to the law. And they are seeking to be justified or sanctified by it. But what ends up happening to that person? 
If you're honest, if you're honest, and that's where there's going to be no hope today unless you're honest. Okay, if you're honest and you're trying to live life like that, then you're crushed by the burden it brings. I don't know if there's anyone here today, you know, like that, but maybe there is, where you've been trying to, to be good and you've been trying to dot all your I's and cross all your T's and you're not really free. And you know you're not and you know you're carrying this burden that you shouldn't be carrying. See, this is the legalist. They are seeking to be sanctified by rules and regulations. They are crushed. They are frustrated. And the bottom line is they are, here's the key, defeated. You you can't live it. You're trying, but you can't. And you're trying harder, and you can't. And you're not really living the life. There's no true transformation from the inside. Then there's the antinomian, the one who's without law, the libertines. These are those people who go to the opposite extreme and they're turned off by the legalists and they blame the law for the problem and then they reject it altogether. They believe themselves to be rid of any obligations to the law and they turn liberty into license. They say, hey man, I went forward, I prayed the prayer, I'm a Christian now, I can do whatever I want. Go ahead, get high, get drunk, do all these different things. God will forgive me. That's the other extreme that we want to avoid. But the one that we're going to be shooting for, and we're going to see it in the latter portion of this chapter and then into chapter 8, is the law-fulfilling free people. And what they do is they preserve that beautiful balance. They rejoice in their freedom from the law for justification and sanctification, but they also rejoice in their freedom to fulfill the law. They delight in the law as the revelation of God's will, but they recognize that the power to fulfill it is not in the law, not in their determination, but it's in their absolute surrender to the Holy Spirit. The bottom line is the legalist is in bondage to the law. The antinomian hates the law, but the law-abiding free people are the only ones who really fulfill the law. And that's where we want to be. You know, I don't know how you guys are doing. You know, I hope and pray, man, that things are going good in your life. But I know in my life, it can be a struggle, man. It can be, you know, and I'm so involved in the ministry. And I've got 84 emails I've got to respond to. And I've got 17 phone calls that I've got to call people back on. And I've got, you know, different Bible studies and all these things that are going on. And, you know, you, you think, well, you must be really, you know, right on since you're so busy in the ministry. But no. It's not the way it works. We know that's not the way it works. And one day when we stand before God, he's not going to judge us by that. He's going to judge us by, by whether or not we were, we were really real. You know, the other night, Friday night, it was cool. We had a family night. And my kids are getting older now. My son is uh, 13 and my daughter's 15. And I thank God, you know, there's still a little bit of desire in them to be with their parents, you know. Sometimes you get 13-year-olds, 15-year-olds, they don't want to be with their parents, you know. But um, we had to, you know, bribe them a little bit, you know. I told Ariel, okay, afterwards we'll go to Cold Stone. And she's like, okay, Dad, really happy about that. And I told Aaron, we're going to have a game night 
But I knew that really what it was going to take to really get him excited about it was to play this, play this certain game we call, he calls, it's called Cranium. And, uh, you know, and it's not a Christian game. It's a secular game. And, you know, I don't, he doesn't know those songs and we don't know those songs. But you know what? We had a blast. We had such a great time together. And that's why I think we need to be so careful. You know, what's it going to take for my kids to serve the Lord? Is it going to be me pounding in them all the time? No, we need to be led by the Lord. But here's what it is. I need to maintain a relationship with them. I need to be able to continue to talk to them. And they have that freedom to talk to me. So that the God that I serve will be the God that they're going to want to serve. You know, because I could teach them how to jump through all the hoops. And I can teach them how to put on a show when they're at church. But only God can make that true and total transformation. This morning we're going to see in our study, it's actually verses 1 through 6, that it's addressed to the legalist. And he's going to be sharing with the legalist that you're not under the law anymore. Next time in Romans 7, verses 7 through 13, it's addressed to the antinomian. And we're going to see that, yeah, the law still has merit in your life. And then when we close Romans chapter 7, it's addressed to the law-fulfilling, abiding people who describe the inner conflict. They're open, they're honest about it, and then the ultimate victory. Today I was talking to a brother, just said hi to him real quick. I said, hey, how you doing, man? And he went like this. You know, it's kind of like, you don't want to hit me, do you? No, that's not what he was saying. He was just saying, it's a battle. And it is a battle, you guys. But it is a battle that we can win when we really understand the proper place of the law and grace, the law and the spirit. And that's what Paul deals with here in Romans chapter 7. And here we see in verse 1 the question. Notice again, he says, Or do you not know, brethren? For I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over man, as long as he lives. Now, in reference to the law at this point, Paul is probably giving a general statement, which could include both the Jewish law and some say even the Roman law. And basically what he says is that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. The word speaks of authority, jurisdiction. The law is binding. As long as you guys are alive, The law has authority over you. You still got to pay taxes, man. You still have to abide by the laws of the land as long as you live, right? But it's real simple. The authority is limited to our lifetime. The one thing which would invalidate the law is death. Death brings release from all contractual obligations involving the dead, right? And when, you know, if someone dies, you know, they don't got to pay taxes anymore, right? Because they died. And Paul says, I know you guys know that. You know that, right? And that's what he says in verse 1, the the question. But then he gives the illustration in verse 2 and 3. He says, for the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she Uh, will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married 
another man. First the question, then the illustration. You know, there are those who have suffered that terrible, um, this a painful loss of a spouse. And although some might not be interested, the Lord's law says you are free now to remarry. You are no longer under that covenant, that contractual obligation. As a matter of fact, Paul says right here that you're released from that contract. And the word means to annul, to destroy. And the apostle says that the woman's status as a wife has been abolished, completely done away with. She is no longer a wife. As a matter of fact, we read the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, where it says a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, he is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. And so it's real simple up to this point. This is a question. You guys know this, right? Don't you know that the law has authority over you only while you're alive, not while you're dead? Kind of like when you get married, if you're married to a spouse, but then if one of the spouses dies, then the living spouse is no longer under contractual or covenant obligation to them. They're free to remarry, right? That's all he's saying. The question, then the illustration. Then he gives the application to us regarding the law. He says there in verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Paul here gives the application in all these things. You see, you guys, we've studied this earlier, but as Christians, we have been united with Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross, right? We all know that, right? You died with him. Jesus Christ was put in a grave and he was buried, right? You were buried with him. Jesus Christ rose again and he conquered death and we were raised with him. In that death, Paul is saying, in that whole process, we are no longer married to the law. We are not under that contract or that covenant any longer. That death releases us from our previous covenant and obligation to the law. So now that relationship, so to speak, is over. So that, look what he says right here in verse 4, we can be now married to another, to him who is raised from the dead. So now what? We as a church, you guys, here's the way it works. We're now committed to Christ. We're now married to the Lord, so to speak. Even you guys, we're all, we're married to the Lord. The ladies are like, oh, that's so neat. I get to be married to Jesus. You guys too, okay? We as a church, we are married to the Lord as well. We have this new relationship. Biblically, we learn that the church is the bride of Christ. We read that in Ephesians 5, verse 23 through 32. John chapter 3, verse 29 Revelation chapter 21, verse 2 and 9. We've been united to Christ so that death releases us from our previous covenant to the law. We are now married to Christ. And here's where it gets down, you know, to the nitty gritty. Now the rubber meets the road. So that we can bear fruit 
to God. You see, that's where it all, it all goes to. If you're still married to the law, if you're still trying to live your life with all these rules and regulations, if you're still trying to hide things so that you don't get busted from your parents or whatever a case may be, you're not real. And God wants to make us real. God wants a true and total transformation in our life. He wants us to bear fruit to him. You see, in this loving relationship with Jesus, it's not a legal relationship, there will be intimacy. Ephesians tells us that our husband, Jesus, will sanctify us, and then he will cleanse us with the washing of the word. And in this loving relationship, not legal, he will be the one to take care of the spots, the wrinkles, and the blemishes so that we can be real. So that we can bear fruit to God. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you've been trying and you've been failing, you've been trying and you've been failing, and you've been trying and you've been failing, if you're here today and you're a Christian and you know when you really search your heart that you're not real, that it's more superficial than it is true, then it's probably because you're still married to the law. You still have these rules and regulations that are the ones that are really whipping you into shape. At least they're trying to. And God is saying, Manny, that's not the way it works, man. That's not the way it works. You know, I could be more concerned with my preaching than with my life with my family. And that's not what God wants. You know, God wants me to be real with my wife and real with my son and real with my kids. And God wants me to go and to do the cancer walk and show support for my mom. You know, God wants me to be salt on the earth and not some Christian religious person that in all reality, because you don't really care, you're really turning people off more than you are helping them. See, that's what God wants for our life. You know what? Our lives should be filled with so much love And so much Jesus that when we run into non-believers and we have relationships with family members, that they should almost melt when they're around us. Now, I know the way the world is, and I know that they don't, you know, uh, accept the gospel. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. But whatever you do, don't use that as an excuse because you're not really living the life as Jesus would have you to. I mean, you go and you meet somebody and the first thing you talk about is, you know, that, uh, I don't know, just things that are not really pertinent. You know, we really need God's wisdom in order to bear fruit to to the Lord, you know. And again, it can't be religion. It's got to be more than that. You know, sometimes I think, You know, that we think if we've done all the Christian religious stuff, like I said earlier, praying to God, reading our Bibles, and going to church, then we're okay. But we're not. That's only the beginning. You know, I can preach, and I can pray, and I can serve, and I can sacrifice, and all those things. But the Bible says that if I don't love, then I'm nothing. I'm just a bunch of noise. You know, the other day, if you would, turn over to Luke chapter 13. 
I was reading this just in my devotions. In Luke chapter 13, it says in verse 6, he also spoke the parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that you can cut it down. See, I'm not married to the law anymore. I'm not under rules and regulations anymore. I now have a relationship with the Lord. I'm married to him. Why? Why'd you get married, Manny? To bear fruit. Some people even say, they kind of say it's kind of like having children. And that's a little bit, you know, farther, you know. But there are some commentators that believe that that fruit is talking about such an intimate relationship with Christ. that It's almost like you're bearing children. And and that's a possibility. But now I have this relationship with this Lord, uh, 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 with the Lord. uh, A love relationship, not a legal relationship, but a love relationship with the Lord so that I can bear fruit. Now, here's the thing. We read right here that, you know, this guy, he goes up to the tree and it doesn't have any fruit. He's like, man, where's the fruit? And so the next year he comes, he checks out the free tree. It doesn't have any more fruit. And then the third year comes, man, it still doesn't have any fruit. It's a tree. They go to church. But they're not real. So what, what's the justice? He says, let's cut it down. It's wasting up the ground. It's wasting everything. And so the mercy comes in. He says, no, you know what? Let's give it another chance. Let's kind of cultivate around here and we'll water and we'll you know, throw in some miracle grow and stuff like that. And we'll see if maybe it'll bear some fruit this year, right? And then if not, then we'll cut it down. And I was talking to my kids about this and I was just saying, you know, if you knew the Lord was looking for fruit, wouldn't you make sure you had had fruit? I mean, let's just say, and I was telling them this, you know, let's just say, for example, and I try to think of something that maybe, you know, we don't always have. I said, let's just say as an example that Jesus was coming over today and he was going to be looking for marshmallows in our house. Okay. What would you guys do? And they said, yeah, I'd go down the store. I'd buy marshmallows, man. I'd make sure that when Jesus came, that there was marshmallows here, you know, that whatever it is, that he's looking for, that that would be there, that that would be here. And for us, Jesus is looking for what? Fruit. What's he looking for? Don't say marshmallows. I'm sorry, I confused you by that. He's looking for fruit. Okay, question, will he find it? Okay, let's turn over to Galatians chapter 5. And this is not an exhaustive list. But you can read the works of the flesh. A lot of us here, it probably sounds too familiar. But in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, it says, The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. That's a sexual sin, right? Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, 
envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, that's like going to parties and stuff, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, that's the works of the flesh. We can go down that list and you can check it twice and to see if any of those things are you. Because, man, you don't want it to be you. Because you remember, Jesus is coming as a fruit inspector, right? But then look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Okay, that's what we're looking for. This is the fruit, the love, the joy, the peace. You can take them, and I wish we had more time. But one thing I've learned is that, you know, when you go to a Bible study, like a Bible study like this, please write this verse down, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Take it home and go over it. And here's what I want you to do. Don't just, you know, you, you know, look at your own life and say, is this me? Husbands, this is what I want you to do. If you're married here today, I want you to ask your wife, if this is you. Ask somebody else. Somebody who will be honest. Is this me? I should ask Shelly. Shelly, is this me? Because a lot of times what ends up happening is we're too soft on ourselves. And our wives, you know, they slap us around a little bit. Yeah. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, maybe you have a good friend. Because you guys, the bottom line is, that's what it's all about. We were divorced, so to speak. We died from this relationship to the law so that we can be married to Christ. We're no longer under the law. Why? So that we can be real. So that we can bear fruit to God. Back in Romans, it gives the contrast. It says, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. I mean, you know, man, when we were in the flesh, the law, the, you know, all the temptations, that was heading nowhere except hell. But, verse 6, now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And that's how Paul closes this section right here. You see, the legalistic person who is still under the obligation of the law for either salvation or sanctification will never bear true fruit. They might be religious. They might go to church every week. They might pray and they might read just like the Pharisees did. But that legalistic person will not bear true fruit to God. Unless they walk, not in the oldness of the letter, not motivated by the whip, but in the newness of the Spirit. And that's what we see right here, verse 6 teaches us. You see, it's no longer the letter written on stones or, or even, you know, on, on the book, man. It's actually the love letter that's written on our hearts. You see, the motives and the means now have completely changed. Again, John Stott said this, Why do we serve? Not because the law is our master and we have to, but because Christ is our husband and we want to. 
Not because obedience leads to salvation, but because salvation leads to obedience. And how do we serve? We serve in the new way of the Spirit. For the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a distinguishing characteristic of the new age and so of the new life in Christ Jesus. And when we get to Romans chapter 8, we're going to talk more about that. You know, and you know, we're out of time now, but whatever you do, man, understand that if you want to be real, if you want to bear fruit to God, I'm not talking about putting on a show. I'm not talking about convincing other people. I'm talking about being real, where God takes, he reaches inside your heart and he totally changes your life so that you change from the inside out. If you want that to happen, then that will only happen as we break from the law of legalism and we marry Jesus. And in that intimate relationship with Christ, we are then supernaturally empowered to live a life of obedience. When we get into Romans 8, we're going to see about that. Up until then, Paul's going to deal with a couple of others. You know, some might say, okay, well, now there's no law. And, you know, no, that's not what we're saying here. All I'm saying is this, you guys. And I don't know, you know, how you guys are doing. I don't know if you're walking around frustrated, defeated, burdened, um, knowing, like, you're knowing, man, some of you here, that something is not right, that something is missing. I think a lot of times that happens when we have a legalistic relationship with God. And so today the Lord is really speaking. I know to me, and he's just saying, Manny, I want this to be real. I want to be the one to change your life. And I pray, you guys, that we would have that heart. Because in the world that we're living in today, man, they can see right through. They can see right through all the pretenders. We want to be real, you guys. And so this section right here, Romans chapter 7, it really does teach us so much. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to study your word, Lord. I thank you so much, Father, for, Lord, just allowing us today, Lord, um, maybe even today just to be able to identify a problem. Maybe today we just begin by acknowledging the fact that we have been defeated, that we are frustrated uh, to certain extents, Lord God, that there is something missing in our life. And your word says we don't have to live that way. We can actually fulfill the law. But Lord, help us to do this and to realize today that we can only do this as we break free from legalism and as we marry Jesus Christ, as we begin, Lord, to surrender our life to you and the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray today that for everyone here, Lord God, I pray that we would have that desire this week, Lord, to examine our lives, to to talk with you, to empty ourselves, Lord, of ourself, and that you, Lord, would fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would baptize us, Lord, and that you would allow us, Lord God, that grace to be able to walk under that anointing, 
under that true and total transformation, Lord, that only you can give. Father, I do pray that in these last days you would raise up a church that is real. I pray. I love you and I thank you. I lift up everyone here, Lord. May you strengthen them. May you bless them this week, Lord. And all that they do, Lord, I pray, wherever we're at, that you would meet us there. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.